Greetings, dear, dear listeners, and welcome to another episode of The Working Experience, a very warm, open-arm audio embrace and a squeeze. This episode is brought to you by my company, One Circle Media. One Circle Media is a hybrid digital agency and media content creator. We create and design apps, websites, videos, social media content, and physical products. We are artists, directors, designers, producers, coders, editors, thinkers, makers, and creators who embrace story and creativity from design, web and app development, animation, docs, features, TV shows, digital and social media content to physical products. For our clients, we create content that builds networks and audiences across multiple platforms. Check out our work at OneCircleDigital.com and OneCircleBrand.com. If you work for a network, studio, brand, startup, or corporation and are looking for a partner to create media that will build, engage, and entertain, reach out to me at John at OneCircleMedia.com. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks, everyone, and I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Working Experience. The Working Experience. Route 93 North is almost at a standstill. It's a rough one out there this morning. Snow and sleet. There is no service on that. Stand clear of the closing doors, please. Uh, Yeah, folks, we're going to be a few minutes. We have train traffic ahead of us. We should be moving shortly. John, we need that report ASAP. Where are we on that presentation? And HR wants to see you. Did you return that email yet? We have a team meeting at 10. The state link, Bob. Teamwork makes the dream work. (laughs) They're moving in a different and after the meeting, we'll have a breakout session. Where are my hot pockets? This microwave is disgusting. Oh, God, what's that? He was wow. living his Sexual toenails at his desk. I can't take it anymore. I can't take it anymore. I can't. Hey, everyone. Welcome to this episode of the Working Experience Podcast. My guest today is Martin Vidal. Martin is an author whose books include The Flower Garden and The Ambition Handbook. Uh containing advice on dealing with negative emotions and how to achieve success. And it's great to have him on the podcast. Welcome, Martin. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Uh, so can you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you came, where you're from and all of that? Yeah, uh, like you said, my name is Martin Badal. Uh, I'm a full-time author, though I also spent a lot of time uh, studying and trading stocks. Uh, I'm born and raised in Miami, Florida, where I still live today, and hopefully someday we'll die here. I love it here. (laughs) I I don't ever want to move. I got into writing uh, mostly because of a love of philosophy, reading it, and then just as an extension of that, wanting to develop something of my own. And what kind of uh, philosophy? Um, The first, like, real eye-opener was Nietzsche, and uh, and the existentialist i mean i just went crazy for that stuff i totally digested it um after that i was a big fan of hume uh, la roche foucault uh right now i'm crazy about emerson it there's a lot of range to it um i like beautiful writing and deep analysis so i do like when they take a holistic approach um and also just it's kind of flowery i think you know you, you need to uh be a little poetical to touch on some of the really deep stuff. Uh, I think Nietzsche does a great job at that in particular. And uh, anything that can just really, you know, turn your world upside down for a little bit and make you see things differently. And do you think that lends itself to uh, the financial world, to uh, stocks and trading and all you know, that? No, that's a, 
that's an interesting question. Um, so I think most people would say like, no, right. Uh, I actually have a very spiritual approach to the markets. Um, to me, it's like looking at the face of God. You see on all these different levels through the fractals, rules being followed that don't really make sense that they're being followed. And I think you see a lot of that in life and that's what brings a lot of people to believe in God and just, you know, how is it that things flow this way and end up this way? And what are these guiding principles? Um, and to me, to me, it's very inspiring. Uh, in another way, I'd say it's similar in, in how given it is to analysis. Uh, so you can really break things down into core components and move up from there to, to make sense of them and see uh, patterns playing out on higher levels formed from the basic elements once you've uh, gained an understanding of them. So, you know, not, not a direct straightforward correlation with that. Uh, I wouldn't say if you want to practice writing to start studying the markets, but I, I do think you can definitely find in any large pool of, you know, people participating in something, um, some of the same basic elements. And uh, I think the market has been very uh, eye-opening and inspirational for me in that way. Do you find that there are certain principles people follow that you find to not be wise or, or true, that there are certain fallacies that a lot of people tend to believe for whatever reason? Uh, did you mean in terms of In terms of the market or, or, or in terms or... of philosophy or... Um, okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think uh, a lot of the people who jump into the market, um, sort of as amateurs, I did as well, everyone, I think um, on its face, it's very alluring and deceptive because it'll make you think it's so easy. And really, like, it should be simple, right? If it goes up or down, then you just have to know that there's only two directions. I mean, I guess it can stay relatively static and consolidate. And then you know, that's it. You just have to figure that out, right? It sounds easy enough. And um, I hear the experience over and over that people jump in and they make so much money. Uh, when I first started a few years back, uh, immediately, I was doing great. And then, like, you know, for maybe two weeks, I mean, I was just like, okay, every day is a winner. This is it. I'm going to be so wealthy. And then it was just like a year of devastating destruction. Um, <laughs> so it's, uh, you know, I think, if there's some misconceptions specifically, it's not easy. Uh, the market's going to hurt you. Um, it knows you better than you know yourself. It's really going to be a journey of self-discovery, which is one of the reasons I think everyone should study it. Because at the end of the day, you know, you can read this, you know, however many books or take however many courses on trading and things like that. Uh, what's really going to impact your bottom line is you and your personality. Um, you need to be disciplined. You know, if, if you're patient, the market always goes up, you know, on a long enough time frame. So, you know, that's one example of how, if you could just wait, right, um, you'll do better probably if you can time yourself, your entries, things like that. Uh, the discipline to stick to a plan, uh, dealing with emotions of, of fear and greed when you're in an actual trade. I mean, all of that stuff just teaches you over and over again who you are, where your weaknesses lie. And I think there's not enough emphasis on self-mastery uh, when it comes to getting into the stock market. And, you know, I probably go on and on, but I think that's a pretty good uh, place to cap it. You know, I read, uh, there's a quote that always stuck with me. And strangely enough, it's from that book, Silence of the Lambs by Thomas Harris, mm -hmm. which I, for a pulp novel, I always found had very great insights into human nature. And one I always remembered was that nothing makes us more vulnerable than greed and loneliness. 
that if you're, um, you know, lonely people are obviously very vulnerable to people who would prey on that, but also your one's mm -hmm. greed can really lead you to make terrible decisions. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, and that's something I found a lot. Uh, one of the key points I stress on the Mission Handbook about, uh, and actually one of the reasons I wrote it and, and that I found was a primary problem myself and I see this in a lot of people is like, I call it celebrating your intentions. Like you get very excited at the idea of something like somebody wants to start a company or for example, they get into trading and immediately they feel like they've done something or like, you know, they're definitely going to be wealthier or something like that. And, and it, you know, it, get, it makes it really easy for the rug to be pulled out of you. It can make you lazy because, you know, you already feel accomplished when really you haven't done much. Um, and it can set you back. Uh, over and over again, because you, you sort of just become pacified with that. And, you know, I mean, I guess greed sort of gets away from that, but not exactly, because it's that wanting, right? It's that you want it so bad that you're not really focusing on the process and being patient and things like that. And uh, you, you can't focus on the ends. At the end of the day, there's, you know, it's it's all stepwise. It's, it's A to B to C. And, you know, you got to learn how to get from A to B to B to C and, you know, stop looking at the, the end because mm -hmm. you know, there's just no way. So can you give us some broad strokes about what the ambition handbook is about? Like what, what yeah. lessons you talk about? I'd love to. Um, okay. So it, it's a guide to help you be more effective as a person. It focuses, if there's two domains of power, uh, which is, you know, our way to influence other things, it would be, one would be the social power, uh, you know, bringing people to our cause, rallying them or persuading them or whatever to, to do things that we have in mind. And then the other one would be the personal power, which stems from, you know, what we can do basically with our body or and mind, um, you know, develop a scale and things like that. Uh, the Ambition Handbook focuses solely on personal power. So the way I approach that is I go through the decision-making process by breaking into three factors uh, that influence our decisions. Uh, willpower, awareness and emotions so what i find is that if you're to be effective then that means you know your behavior insofar as it determines efficacy dealing with the real world even if the behavior you know is created from the mind so your awareness is what allows you to have a picture of the real world so you need to take these other two portions of your decision making process and guide them towards that so a, a big theme in the book is subduing your emotions so that they uh, practice so, so that they work more as an engine than as a driver, as a guider. Um, you know, your rational mind should be guiding you, but your emotions should be pushing you towards there. So, for example, uh, one of the chapters is the three lessons, fear, anger, and sadness. And what I say is that these emotions, which had uh, once very practical uses in a state of nature, have been largely outvoted by the rational mind. Uh, it never really benefits us to be angry, afraid, or sad but they do have important lessons in them, right? Like you need risk analysis for fear, right? Like it makes sense to some things you want to avoid. For anger, sometimes it's good to be impetuous, be a little driven, uh, not be averse to a confrontation and things like that. And for sadness, it's to be retrospective and to learn. Uh, you know, it's basically regret. Sadness is a post-event emotion. Um, but the actual emotion itself dulls our senses, it, you know, can make us either act stupidly or give us tunnel vision or just depress us and make us dull. Uh, um, there. So those are emotions that we should try and when we can restrict 
and just learn the lesson of them and approach things rationally. So. Okay. So that's uh, what, what category did that fall under again? That was decision-making or I kind of forget what you said. Well, the whole book's about decision-making. Okay. No worries. Um, it's broken into three parts. The first two chapters pertain to willpower, right. the next three to emotions and the five after that to thought awareness. Yeah. Okay. So that one falls under emotions though. Okay. Okay. So we should uh, try to avoid letting our emotions cloud our judgment too much. Yeah, definitely. Some of them, um, like there's another chapter in there, the misapplication of pride and shame, which talks about how we need to govern our feelings of pride and shame because that's a primary motivator for people. Um, restrict where you get it from. If you're aiming to achieve something, make sure that you're only congratulating yourself for what are meaningful actions and consistency and things like that because we get distracted and you know I, I lay out like a whole basically checklist for for making sure that it is something that will move you forward um, but we get distracted and we draw pride from all these different sources in our lives and that I think really lets out the you know it, it, it empties our, our gas tank so to speak um, because the emotions are very important drivers rationality is not really a driver. If, even if you know you should do something, you're not going to get up and do it just because of that. You know, you have to feel that, that energy and that enthusiasm. Um, so that's an emotion that you do want to feel in the right places, uh, whereas in others, there's not really any place for uh, anger and sadness. That is. It would kind of seem that um, if we were strictly relying on rationality, we wouldn't take a lot of chances. You know, like people always seem to be waiting for the right time when I've mm -hmm. saved up enough money, when my children are of a certain age, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, sometimes you just got to take that leap. And it's not very rational, but like, you just have to do, you know, if something drives you to, you have to do it or you're not going to be mm -hmm. fulfilled. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I, I do think that happens, but I think that's probably more of a consequence of this sort of haphazard human design we all <laughs> suffer under. Because yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like rationally, right, you would think that time is slipping or mortal you got to get out there and you know every second's taken away um and you got to get out there and make it happen it's never going to happen on its own so you know start immediately but you know you're, you're right that there is a whole other side to the scale um so so you really have to weigh things and you can become paralyzed by by considering too much sometimes the best way is just to break through yeah it also seems to like you know you don't have to do every like you know up and quit your job in two weeks and go out and start that business you've mm -hmm. always dreamed of that to me is wildly impractical and it seems that people think it's either that or i'm never going to do it and i'm like well you can keep your job and you can start making incremental steps towards mm -hmm. you know starting your business or whatever it is you want to do yeah, no, I mean, you, you don't want to leave yourself hanging out there. I mean, it's really easy to make things a lot worse for yourself, always. You know, there, there is no real bottom in life. <laughs> so however much you're fed up with your job or whatever, if you enjoy some stability, um, I think it's really good to, to prioritize that. At the same time, I think when it does come to, you know, if you're choosing between what you really want to be doing and what you're doing, you know, try and I think thread the needle by if you have a job where you can learn something that's relevant or something like that I don't think there's anything uh, wrong with that I think 
uh, working in a way that's educating, I think is, is really valuable towards anything you want to achieve. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so could you tell us a bit about, you have a, a new book that's either out or it's coming out, The Flower Garden? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's already available online. Um, and it, it's a book of essays. It's, a, it's really a departure from, from the Ambition Handbook. Uh, it, the only central theme is that it primarily touches on like aspects of human psychology and behavior and things like that. Um, I was really indulgent when writing this book. I didn't care too much about anything. I just wrote what I wanted to. And I'm really happy with the, the final product. And I've also gotten some great reviews on it, which is really great when you uh, just do what you want to do and people mm -hmm. respond to it. That's, uh, that's made me very happy. But, um, you know, it's an assortment of essays. Some people ask me what it's about. And I have a lot of difficulty going into that because, uh, because of that, because of the range. But, uh, you know, there's essays in there on happiness, on soulmates, on the infinitude of time and space. I mean, it, it has a lot of range, though it does center primarily on um, psychological and behavioral uh, things. So what would you say on a subject like happiness? Um, so one of the things I say in there, I, I have two essays, as I can recall, that are specifically on happiness. Um, the first one is to hate happiness. And that is for me that I've, I've realized some people, uh, when they have a lot of difficulty attaining happiness, or have a lot of difficulty attaining it for a long time, become resentful of the pursuit itself. That, you know, if somebody suggests to them, oh, try this or try that. And, you know, I understand why that's obnoxious, right? Like if you're having difficulty with that, like you don't want to hear some little cliche about it. But um, the idea that you can't give up and the idea that the whole attaining happiness is a real factor in actually getting it. Um, I think when you wake up and you look at the world one way or at least try to, maybe you wake up with a pessimistic skew, um, trying to drag your thoughts and trying to drag your vision to seeing uh, the possibility of a better day and a good day and of the good things around you. Um, you know, it is kind of tired advice, but it's necessary. I mean, there's only so many components we have functioning inside of us. And if your emotions are going in a direction you don't want to, your thought is basically the only other <laughs> place you can uh, pull on the reins to try and get that to go somewhere else. Um, one of the other essays in there is uh, about the way that happiness uh, makes us more benevolent, um, that it, it really just makes us better people, which is interesting that what we all want is really what the world should want for us, that we become uh, kinder and, and, and nicer. I do give a, a caveat that says that we're unable to uh, fully empathize with others when you're really, really happy. Um, sadness can't really uh, sink in. Like when, you know, if you hear about a tragedy happening to someone else, it does seem to stay kind of superficial in your own mind. Um, but other than that, I do think that uh, I, I, I write a sentence in there that it's as if we are uh, capable of, of possession because, you know, we can be taken over by something like anger that will make us uh, uh, malicious and, and often immoral and, mm -hmm. and impetuous. Or we can be taken over by something like happiness that will make us kinder and, and nicer and more considerate. And uh, that, that it's just an interesting dynamic and that uh, you're really, I mean, happiness is almost entirely a good, which is rare. Um, it makes us better and it makes us feel better. I, was, I find it's an interesting question when people are asked to define happiness. They seem to sometimes struggle with that. I mean, I guess I would as well. Like, I, I don't know, is it contentment? Is it excitement? Is it 
starting new things or being secure? I guess that's different for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in terms of what happiness is for me, I think that would be a range. And I mean, you know, it's funny because when you discuss emotions a lot, I like to keep it really simple. Um, I feel like I read somewhere like they, you know, described 32 different emotions or something like that. I like to keep it with, you know, like anger, fear, sadness, happiness. But yeah, if you dive into that, right, like pride feels like something different, uh, joy, euphoria, right? Like what is it when it's a sharp up peak? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, you just want a competition versus, you know, you wake up in the morning and things seem all right. Like it's a, you know, you got that golden uh, sunrise light coming in through the window and everything just is looking up. But, uh, you know, I think it's, uh, I think it's, it, it's a slight thing. You know, the happiness that everyone uh, really seeks and should value. I think it's something that, you know, it's not a hundred percent euphoria. It's more like a 60% or 70% where the world just seems all right. You know, you, you have eyes for the beauty around you. You can appreciate things. You feel calm. Um, I think one of the central components of it is you're feeling proud of yourself um, at that time. I do think self-love is the basis of uh, happiness. And and conversely, though, though it feeds into it, uh, exhaustion. I think uh, really working, really exerting yourself, exerting your, your body and mind, I think, um, are, are, are key components to, to happiness. So basically, I think it's all inherent in us. Um, if we can work and be proud of ourselves and produce things that, you know, we can reflect on with pride, I think that's feel, really key. It's the mental goal. Feel fulfilled, that sort of idea? I believe so, yeah. Yeah, I've always, I, I you know, I've, I was reading something about a woman who was working for Facebook and talked about how, you know, I don't know, she got paid pretty well, you know, into the six figures, mm-hmm. most definitely, and she was very unfulfilled and this and that. And I, I just sort of thought, you know, I, I mean, I'm 48 years old. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say I come from a, I don't, I'm not from the World War II generation, but I was never really, it's sort of a new thing to me that someone's job should fulfill them. I mean, I don't think it's Facebook's job to fulfill that woman. Like she took a job, she does the job, mm-hmm. she gets paid for it. Now it's probably in Facebook's interest or any other company to like provide the ping pong tables, the massages, just, you know, so she's a more productive employee. But this idea yeah, yeah, yeah. of employer, like I find this to be a fool's errand. Like it's just not possible. So mm-hmm. why I don't know. I, I, I just thought of it in our conversation, like how that even became a philosophy or a, uh, maybe not a philosophy, mm-hmm. but an idea. I, I don't. I don't really understand. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think that's why so many people are unsatisfied. Yeah, it, it's interesting uh, how much like liberalism and individualism have led to uh, complaining and dissatisfaction. But I think it's actually a sign of good times, right? Like when you have time to stop and think about like <laughs> the the deeper questions. Um, but you know, I, I would I would disagree with you a little bit on like sort of this concept of how it became a thing. I almost feel like how did the inverse become a thing? Because why do we take it for default, for granted that everyone should get up and work for a living? And I understand you have to survive and things like that. And that was before corporations or anything like that. We had to go out and forage or grow our own food and things like that. But I don't know. There's an inherent normalcy to the idea that you should spend nine hours a day wasting away in a cubicle and be grateful that you have food on the table. Um, And maybe this is a generational thing or 
just more of that, but I'm not sure how we find ourselves on a speck floating around in an infinite universe. You know, it's really all basically no different from a dream. Uh, I can't give you a good explanation of why I exist. Um, and yet there's assumptions based around what I should do with, you know, what, 70% of my time and year after year. It's, it is, it is strange, but yeah, I mean, the exigencies of survival certainly do require that there will be some sort of sacrifice. And frankly, once we escape burdens, I think we find ourselves a lot more miserable. So I think uh, a little bit of, of, of dealing with those obstacles uh, is good for us. But, but yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm very dissatisfied with the idea of, I don't know, careerism as a whole, even, even as a writer where I experience so much freedom, the idea that I could be like um, maybe more successful or just do a better job at, I don't know, being an author, if I was to make a factory of myself, to sit down and develop a process for writing and write on the same subject every day and develop a following and spend half my time promoting it and, you know, doing all this, you know, because really, uh, you know, being a successful writer is like being a successful business person, except what you're selling is writing, you know, instead of shampoo or cars or whatever, you know? Yeah, yeah, I know. Um, yeah. So, but yeah. So I don't tell you, but um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. We need this system. Like it's just us, right? Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I don't disagree with you about, well, right. Like why would somebody spend 10, 12 hours a day developing a food app? Like I don't, or workism is uh, the woman that she's one of the first people I ever interviewed, Erin Griffin talked about this idea of workism, like working 12, 14 hours a day, like, okay, if you're curing cancer, that's great. If you're developing a new food delivery yeah. app, I don't know, like it becomes a, a, you know, a hamster on a wheel. Where, so the, like the, my Facebook example would be kind of like, well, why are you working there? I mean, what are you doing? I mean, yeah, yeah. you could go do something else. Uh, so to sort of pin your hopes on your employer fulfilling your every spiritual need. Yeah, that's like, a good eh, point. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know about that, you know? Yeah. So. Um. I think I think a lot of people in life um, get drawn in by the the flashing lights, mm -hmm. right? Which is like all of society really wants you to do is be I don't know independent and provide and advance and you know like it's a lot of like checking boxes really. Um, so you know if you find yourself in a good career at a good company, you feel like you've done everything right. I think you know if you're a decent mm -hmm. human being um outside of that but a lot of people and i think i think this is why some people uh later in life you know they have like maybe a midlife crisis or things just sort of come crashing around them and they find themselves depressed and dissatisfied is that they never really took the time to develop a philosophical context for all of this you know there's a lot of like doing and doing it well and all of that but there's not a you, you start asking why and asking why again and asking why and digging deeper and deeper and you realize it's for nothing um, you know, so I think, and I think that takes a lot of time to develop. I mean, and honestly, I think I'm a bit of an existentialist myself, you know, I don't think there is a solid answer. Um, I think you got to sort of provide one, but you know, for me, I think existence is kind of dreamlike and basically it's like some multi-layered hedonism, you know, into deeper things, you know, like fulfillment and things like that, but ultimately it's all to enjoy yourself. Um, you know, like even morality. I think is is ultimately the the fundamental basis is that it feels it feels a lot better to be nice to people and have positive relationships and things like that 
And I think if you can develop a context for yourself like that, where you understand at base, okay, so I'm here floating around in space. Nobody told me what to do. There's no guidebook. And I sort of just have to find, you know, is existence a good thing? Is it not? Um, and the positives are, you know, the ocean is beautiful. The sky is beautiful. You know, love is, is excellent. Um, food is delicious. You know, all these things that you're like, okay, existence without necessarily meaning is a good thing that I'd like to participate in and continue participating in for as long as I reasonably can. And then you can build on that and you can say, you know, what are the things I like doing that maybe can provide me with money? Um, stuff like that. I mean, although, I don't know, it, it should be like, a, you know, it, it is important on your day to day, you need to make money. It's, it's a reality, obviously, um, unless you know, you're a trust fund baby. Um, so it is kind of making light of it, I think, to dismiss it like that. But in the grand scheme of things, you know, that's for the body. That's uh -huh. to keep, you know, housed and things like that, and maybe a little bit for status. But you really need to figure out what the mind and spirit, I think, are, are looking for before you go into that. Because at some point, you're going to run off the cliff of wise, and there's not going to be anything below you. Yeah. Well, it's funny you mentioned the writing thing, because I at one time got on one of the, it was like, you know, I think I got it from medium. Actually, it was like five, five ways to make money from your writing. So I found one of the websites, I mm -hmm. sent them some samples and then it was like, yeah, we'd like you to write this copy stuff. And I thought, I really enjoy writing. Why am I going to turn it into this mm -hmm. awful thing to make, I don't know, maybe it was a hundred bucks, 150 bucks to like, I don't know, it was copy yeah, editing yeah. or something. And, I'm like, oh man, this is going to wreck the whole thing for me. So I just couldn't do it. Yeah. Yeah, no, I know exactly what you mean. I mean, I cannot make writing happen for any other reason, but then I really want to. I mean, yeah. I've, I've tried. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've, yeah, I've tried uh, taking uh, a couple other steps. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, honestly, in general, I have difficulty with, uh, like motivation on demand, you know? So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But writing, writing in particular, uh, influence doesn't come when called, you know? Yeah. I mean, no, sorry, no. inspiration rather. No, no, it doesn't. Um, no. So, can you tell us about your writing process? Like, what, what do you do? Do you sit down? I'm always kind of interested in the nuts and bolts. Like, you sit down and write mm -hmm. longhand. Do you have like a time and place you do it? How does it work for you? Um, so, for me, I, I think the most important component to writing is reading. Um, find something that you love reading and, you know, that, that is really good writing that you're really inspired by, uh, somebody who, you know, the, the writers I'm in love with, I don't even know if I could say I ever hope to be at that level. Mm -hmm. Um, it's just godly, but, um, read a lot, digest it. And then the, I feel like the thoughts spring up naturally, um, try to set aside time to write first thing in the morning. Because uh, that's when I feel like the, the clearest, but I won't do it if I don't feel like it. I, I refuse to write if I don't feel drawn to it. And a lot of times, I mean, you know, you're laying in bed at night and an idea hits you and you can't put down the phone or whatever, or, uh, things like that. So I, I really just take it as it comes. Um, whatever I'm reading tends to influence it. That's usually the subjects or whatever I'm thinking about a lot then it, it just comes from there. Um, if I do sit down, it's like, you know, I've only written um, two full books, but so so I don't, it's difficult for me to say even how I am as a, as a book writer, though it is a very different experience from like writing articles. 
Um, and I don't necessarily count Flower Garden, honestly, because it's, it's a collection of essays. But the Ambition Handbook was um, an answer for me. It, it didn't, I didn't sit down and try to write that book. In fact, I never wanted to write anything in the self-help genre. I'm not a fan of it overall. Um, but I reached the point in my life where I felt like I am a very big dreamer and I've had all these dreams and things weren't materializing for me in the way that I wanted them to. So really, I, I started just to analyze myself and I said, you know, what's wrong with me? Well, why am I not effective? Um, and I started by answering that question and uh, chapter three in the Ambition Handbook is the answer I came up with. And then I started digging deeper and, and finding on other key concepts. And then I started looking at people around me and I said, okay, so what's holding them back? And I found, I mean, I could probably name a person for every chapter in the book on, okay, this is what's really like restricting their potential. Um, and, and so that's what, what inspired it. And then the process, um, like for example, I do have another book in the works and the process that I approached that one with and the ambition handbook is very macro. Um, I like to ask a big question and I like to reduce it to first principles, start with the elements and then work it up into a whole network of maybe consequences or realizations that come out of that and make it very ordered and systematic and make it comprehensive and complete. Um, I very much um, like I, I, I attain to um, like an Aristotelian approach where he did like rhetoric or poetics and I feel like or ethics and I feel like he did the entire subject matter from the base up. Um, and, and that's really how I like my, my books. I like to approach them. So what would you consider a, a basic principle that, or a baseline that you would spring from? Like an essential question, for example. Okay, so um, like, I mean, in the Ambition Handbook, it works out from this, right? It's like the question of how can a person become more effective? And then it's like, okay, so the effects are caused in the real world. Okay, but they stem from behavior. So what are the precursors to behavior? Decisions. What makes up decisions? Willpower, awareness, emotions. Then what's the interplay? What needs to be in charge? And then going through all of it, right? So these are the factors in willpower, uh, which is why the first chapter is self-awareness and the second one is self-control. And then emotions. You know, I like to keep my emotions simple. Like I said, fear, anger, sadness, happiness, uh, like that, and see, okay, what role does this play? What role does that play? Is this good, bad? things like that. And then to move into uh, basic concepts and awareness, uh, like time as a factor in, you know, accumulated efforts and things like that, or um, the fact that we're mutable, that, that our body and mind can adapt and change. Um, so key, key factors like that. And just working up in there from complexity until you feel like you've touched on just about everything. Um, and I wanted to do it in the least amount of pages possible. So I didn't include any anecdotes or anything like that. Um, and, you know, it's very short sections all throughout. And, you know, so to me, it's, it, it was the best way to be effective was to touch on a very wide range of things, but to do it with the least amount of words and distractions as possible. So is there sort of a cause and effect type of idea that like, like here are the effects, this is what's causing them. And um, I was sort of getting that uh, feel to it. No, because the thing is, right, is, okay, so for my own analysis for the book, there's a lot that didn't have to be included. So, you know, if I'm thinking, okay, it's to be happy, something like that, right? I don't feel the need to include that. So everything is sort of just like problems to be fixed. 
Um, so, you know, uh, the misapplication of pride and shame, this is where your energy is going and where it shouldn't be. Because this is a motivator for you, particularly if you're ambitious, you're probably driven by like a self-image of yourself. You want to be this person or for others, or I don't know, I guess some people want to be famous or they want to, you know, whatever. They want to be, they, they have an image of themselves and it's sensitive when it's deflated, that hurts. And when it's inflated, that feels good, you know, like ego. So if you're getting pride from these other sources outside of here, you know, if you're winning it playing football every day but you want to be leading a business you know that's not good like you need to restrict where you're getting your pride from and that's a very simplistic um sort of division there I, I try to make a lot more nuance in the book but yeah in general it's not uh looking at outcomes and and, and finding their origins so much as it is just going over the full gamut of influences in our behavior and then seeing what role they play if they help us then probably I don't touch on it. Um, if it's harmful and common and things like that, then I try to assess why it is and how to get around it, which is very difficult, actually. <laughs> um, how to get around it. Yeah, well, I think of it like- In fact, uh, I mean, like, um, oh, go I, ahead. I was gonna say, I think of it like a push-up. Like a push-up is very simple, but it's very yeah. difficult, especially to do a lot of them. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that, that's something I address in this book. Uh, there, there's a, a, a subsection in there literally called the weaknesses of this book. Um, one of them is me. <laughs> one of them is the reader. Um, and another is that, uh, I mean, at least as it pertains to success, is that I was wondering and I was thinking, is it possible to write a book that can make a person successful? And what I've concluded is that no. And the reason is, is that the Ambition Handbook is about what I call general efficacy. It's how to become a little bit more effective overall. It's about the broad strokes. It's about patience, confidence, self-control, things like that. If a person wants to become successful, what they need is what I call specified efficacy, which is a skill set. Um, the reason you can't write a book on how to become successful is because it needs 10 books. You need to learn everything about medicine or everything about stock trading or everything about this. Um, so you can create value in that sphere and value can only be traded for value. So, and that's ultimately what, you know, success is going to amount to, um, is being able to, to create and attain value. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's interesting. So there isn't, uh, I remember a comedian said if self-help books worked, there'd be one, you wouldn't, <laughs> you wouldn't need a, a whole section of Barnes and Noble, but I, I think, um, I was, I'm a teacher by profession. So. I think in terms of like education as being those kind of broad strokes, <laughs> but yeah. training a... is, is a lot different. I think I lost you there for a sec. Hello. Hey, I thought I lost you there for a sec. Yeah, it's totally dropped off. I was not expecting that. <laughs> Uh, I, I was just saying uh, what you were talking about reminds me of like, um, education being mm -hmm. the broad strokes, like, you know, how to learn things like that. And then training is your mm -hmm. specific skill set. Yeah. And, um, as far as like my approach and why I still find a lot of value in my book is that, um, with general efficacy, I think a lot of people don't learn a skill 
because specifically, I mean, some, some people just don't have that guidance, frankly, in their lives to see the outcomes of that. Um, I think if you grow up in an impoverished area, you, you'll see a lot, of, a lot of the word people and you don't have good examples on like, okay, going to college really can set right. you up to, you know, um, do things. But, but another is, um, and like, I see this with, with a lot of people that I feel like are, are holding themselves back is, is impatience, right? Like they don't want to go and take the time to develop the skill because it takes so many years to really see a result from that. And it's very hard to believe in those outcomes, um, on your way, you know, after a year of failure, after two years of failure, um, I have a chapter in there called The Unseen Effect, which talks about how essentially ex exponential career growth occurs um, based on, on three factors that I won't delve into right now to get too complicated, but that you should assume a year of failure. Um, so to, to me, some of this uh, works as a precursor to, to skill development. You know, you need that patience, you need that self-control, you need that vision, um, you need the self-awareness. Uh, so I think uh, a, a lot of people although they will require specified efficacy, I say very clearly in the book that you know, your journey doesn't end here, it starts here. Like after this, you need to find a specific skill set and you need to study it like crazy and develop it and you go out there and you need to be prepared to get nothing back mm -hmm. uh, for one to two years. Um, that the book itself is, is for a lot of people, a lot of people I know and, and for myself, the concepts in there were very necessary. Um, any sort of traction because ultimately you do need that general efficacy, uh, or a lot of people do, to, to attain specified efficacy as I define it, skill. Well, I think you really need to enjoy doing it as well. I mean, I wrote a novel in 2016. No one was interested mm -hmm. in publishing it, but I really enjoyed writing it. I'm glad I did. I mean, I'm glad it's there. Yeah. It's in, you know, that no one else has read it mm -hmm. but me. I can't even say I've read the whole thing. I, <laughs> I typed different <laughs> sections, you know. And, oh, that's not good. <laughs> but I, I, I really, I love the process. I really enjoy mm -hmm. doing it. And um, so, you know, if no, I don't see it as a failure. I did it. I, I would see yeah, it as yeah. a failure if I didn't do it. That's, that's about it. Yeah, no, uh, definitely. So. I think we, we both know that uh, people, when they set out to write a book, don't know what they're getting themselves into. No, <laughs> it no. Is, it is heavy lifting. I, I um, didn't figure out till about page, I think it was 184. I didn't figure out what the book was actually about until that, <laughs> at that, I was like, oh, what, here it is. Like, I was just kind of writing, I was just kind of writing. I like the character, da, da, da. And then I was like, oh yeah, okay. I kind of see this now. And you know, I, I love that moment. Yeah, no, definitely. And then that's, that's pretty funny. But, uh, I remember telling people, um, I think everyone should try and write a book because I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of things like this in life, but it's something that it's an act of faith because you begin and you have no idea what the end is, what it's going to look like, where it's going to take you. Um, you know, you're just going to keep learning and seeing signposts on the way and you're going to follow them. Hopefully if you don't you know, uh, give in and, and it's going to lead you someplace that you did not anticipate. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's the real joy of creation. I really love that part of yeah. it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, I mean, and also, uh, it's pretty cool. I feel like that it lasts forever, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, no one else wrote that book. I feel like. <laughs> so. Exactly. And no one ever will have, you know, that for the no. rest of time. <laughs> no, so. <laughs> for good <laughs> or for uh, ill. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure for good. <laughs> well, uh, Martin. <laughs> Uh, thank you so much. This was really enjoyable. And I think that's a, a great place to wrap it up. And I know our listeners okay. are a lot out of it. 
Um, so your books, uh, mm. if you want to just um, give us those titles one more time and where our audience yeah. can find them. I'm going to have a little plug. All right. So we've got the Ambition Handbook here. All right. Yeah. You can find that on Barnes & Noble. Uh, you can go to my website, martinvidal.co, and find either one of them. And uh, the, the same thing with Flower Garden. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, once Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of The Working Experience. We'd like to thank our sponsors, One Circle Media. If you work for a studio, network, startup, or corporation and are looking for a partner to create media that will build, engage, and entertain your audience, reach out to me at john at onecirclemedia.com. I would love to hear from you. And that's it. The end. The sweet end. Until our next audio encounter.